0: Welcome to All Things Greater Burlington, where you will hear from the movers, shakers, and changemakers that are moving Greater Burlington forward. Here is your host, Stephen
1: Brody. Welcome to All Things Greater Burlington. My guest today is Chris Lee, Executive Director of Des Moines County Conservation. And Chris is here to talk about all things that takes place under the purview of Des Moines County Conservation. And I have to tell you, I was out visiting with Chris, and he was very gracious of his time and took me on a tour. And I was amazed at the expanse and the variety of locations and activities that take place under this man's watch. And so, Chris, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: First of all, let's let's get to know you. How long have you been uh, Executive Director with Des Moines County Conservation?
0: So I became Executive Director in 2013. I started my term with the Conservation Department actually way back. Uh, I'd been the early 2000s when I was going to college, uh, so I'm a BHS graduate. I graduated in 2000, uh, went on to SEC, and during uh, my summers there, uh, I interned with the department and got to know all the team there and, and I already knew kind of the parks because I was was a park user anyway, but kind of got to see the operations and fell in love with it. I knew I always wanted to be home and uh, decided that I wanted to get back here at some point, and I was lucky enough. I graduated college in uh, 2005 and um, worked down in Missouri for a little while, and then in November of 2008, I was hired on with Des Moines County Conservation. Then I was natural resource manager, uh, worked my way up through the ranks, and in 2013 uh, became director have you always loved the outdoors? Absolutely. So the outdoors, um, really define me as a person. So growing up, uh, I grew up South of Burlington. Um, my family had a cabin down on the Mississippi river. So the, the bottomlands South of Burlington really was my backyard. And, uh, I, you know, I hunted, I fished, I camped, I boated, I, I played in the mud. Um, I wasn't much of a, of a sporty type person cause they didn't have trap shooting or archery when I went to school like they do today. But, uh, Uh, And so the outdoors, really, that was my thing. And so I made a pretty easy decision when I went to college as to what I was going to go into, and it was going to be something conservation or natural resources. And so I majored in uh, animal ecology and graduated from Iowa State. Uh, with a degree in that. And Animal so,
1: ecology. I have to say I've never heard of that major before.
0: So it's a it's a fancy way of saying wildlife biology. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, you got these universities, they got to fancy things up and distinguish <laughs> themselves, right? And so I think that's what Iowa State did. And so um, my intention was to work in wildlife and, and do habitat management. And that's really what I did starting my career. Uh, but it became more than that. Um, it To me growing up, the the outdoors... Was my sanctuary. It was my therapy. Um, I I struggled with some depression growing up, and um, and you know I had uh, some some family issues when I was younger. And the outdoors was a place that welcomed me no matter what. It didn't matter that you know I wasn't good at sports. I couldn't run fast and, and couldn't compete with my friends on the track or in the field or uh, throwing balls. But you know I I could go catch a fish or I could just sit and listen to the breeze through the leaves of the cottonwoods and that that was everything to me. And the time that I spent with my family and my friends out there was, was times that defined me as a person and defined my life. And so when I had the opportunity to rise up through the ranks and put myself into a position where I could lead an organization that creates those type of places for people, I knew I had to be part of that. I knew that, that I had to give back to my community. This is where I was born and raised. This is, this is my home. Uh, the people here are my people, and for me to be in a position to create the outdoor opportunities that I had growing up for people that don't necessarily have that in their own backyard, I that was that was everything to me. And so, uh, really, this this is kind of my life's work of of creating parks, creating places. And, and sustaining natural resources for today and the next generation. It's a
1: legacy work, isn't it?
0: It is. And, and I talk about that, you know, and if you read the Hawkeye, I write a monthly column in the Hawkeye. I talk about legacy. Um, I do a podcast for uh, conservation professionals and county conservation, and I talk about that. We're playing the long game here. What we do today is affecting generations from now, and the things we put in place today as parks professionals, as conservation leaders – we are we are paving the way for future generations. We might not see the fruits of our labor, but, you know, you plant a tree today, you might not see the thing get to full maturity, but the next generation will. They're going to benefit from the shade that that thing casts and the oxygen that it pours into the air and the carbon that it sequesters. And so as conservation leaders, we can't ever forget that and that we're playing the long game here. And it supersedes any budget cycle, any political administration. Uh, we're, we're in this for the long run. And, and that's really the timeline that we're playing with
1: here. In the conservation world that you are in and dealing with colleagues, is there is there a common challenge that is out there right now that you all seem to face? And if that is, how would you say Des Moines County is faring with regards to that?
0: So the, the short answer is always resources and budget. Um, And and we're not immune to that. Everybody has that. It doesn't matter whether, you know, you're you're Des Moines County or whether you're the biggest county in the state, Polk County, or the smallest county, Adams County, everybody's got some sort of resource restriction. Um, You know, you look at some of these bigger counties or the state or even federal agencies like the Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, by comparison to us, they've got money coming out their ears, but it's just, they're just operating on a bigger scale. And and so it always comes down to that, you know. You you always want to be able to do more, um, but like I say, we're playing the long game here. And I think the bigger question that a lot of us in this industry face is: is the times have changed a lot? You know, so. So young, the younger generation is very different. And, and every generation prior to us said the same thing. You know, this young generation, just, you know, whatever. They don't get it. Exactly, you know, and, and you know, they don't get it or they don't have a work ethic or they're lazy or whatever. You know, it's, it's that way. Every generation looks down on the next one. But, you know, technology has changed a lot. Uh, the, the perceptions of the safety of the world has changed a lot. Uh, even though we have all this information at our fingertips, you know, and we can identify a species of wildlife or a snake that you encounter faster than any generation prior to us, we have this disconnect from the outdoors because prior generations were very much connected to the outdoors. They, you know, they get off school at the end of the day or get off work at the end of the day. They didn't go home and just veg on the couch in front of Netflix or scroll their social media, um... And you know, they're outside, whether it was, you know, working on the farm or or doing whatever, and there was a, a much deeper connection to the outdoors, and we've we've lost a lot of that. And so this industry struggles with that of how do we how do we bridge that gap and make that connection for people today that once they're in it, they know that they want it and they know that they love it, but getting them there sometimes is a bit of an uphill battle. And so that's kind of the perennial question when you're looking at the bigger picture in the longer term. Is, is how do we get people to fall in love with the outdoors and the natural world?
1: Sure. How much time do you think you spend between habitat and, and wildlife uh, protection, preservation, versus outdoor recreation, outdoor activities?
0: Personally or as a department? Uh,
1: how about as a department?
0: So as a department, we probably put the bulk of our efforts, so, so we are some total staff of of ten, if you count our, our permanent employees, so that's eight full timers. Although we're one short right now, we just had a, a person leave, uh, and then we have two permanent part timers, and um, and then we have we have some seasonals and some contracted help as well. Uh, so four of those eight, or so well, six of the eight, are dedicated outdoor recreation. So they're our park staff, and so that's the bulk of our operations, um, and that arguably reaches the most people directly. So our campgrounds, our parks our our natural areas the the places that people directly go and recreate on um, that requires the most resources and and the most attention because you know you got to maintain the campgrounds you got to you know fix the facilities you got to you know keep the the trails in good shape and those type of things and so uh, that's the bulk of it but we do have an entire division within our department that's focused on uh, natural resources and so we do uh, planting projects for for landowners to help them Uh, get more habitat established on their ground or do conservation practices, Uh, and then we do a lot on our own properties as well, especially in the off-season. So once we get out of kind of the summer high-use season, um, once the campgrounds kind of clear out, uh, that's when we turn we do a lot of forest management and things like that. And so it's pretty dynamic, but the the bulk of our resources are are put towards outdoor recreation. But then we have this entire environmental education division. So we have a couple naturalists that operate out of Stars Cave Nature Center, and we try to reach a lot of the... Uh, Students within the community and a lot of public groups as well. And we reach several thousand people a year through summer camps and school programs. And, uh, we just had a Monarch program this weekend. We had like 70 people come to, uh, to learn all about Monarchs. We caught and tagged Monarch butterflies. Really? You can Um, tag a butterfly. Yeah. And our tags have been found down in Mexico. No kidding. And so, yes, it's kind of neat. And so, uh, we do a lot of that as well because we know that making that introduction to the outdoors, uh, sometimes needs to be programmed a little bit. You know, folks won't necessarily go do that on their own, but if they got a program they can come attend and learn about the monarch migration, that's, you know, one step closer to them going out. And, you know, and even if they just see a monarch when they're out and about, they know and it makes that connection to the natural world. And then hopefully they take the next step to go and visit the parks themselves. And, and it develops that appreciation over time. And then ultimately they, they learn to care about the natural world and, and then act accordingly to sustain it
1: you've got a lot of territory to cover like you drove me around to several different locations i mean they're not contiguous with each other right, there are yeah. some that are that are really spread out so did you acquire those through um Donations or bequeaths, I guess, of a uh, state. How, how do those come then under your
0: supervision? Yeah. So all of the above. Uh, so we have 19 areas scattered all across the county. Wow. Um, and as far as like our areas that are high public use, our park ranger every weekend makes about a 130 mile round trip, just going around and, and checking the parks on a on a nightly patrol tour.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so some of them were purchased outright. So this is our 60th year. We became a department in 1962. And um, even back then, I think within a year or two of us coming into existence, the dream came about for Big Hollow, for uh, our main park, our our biggest, most developed park. Uh, I have a map on my wall in my office. I think it's like 1972 or three, and it's an engineer's design with the lake and campgrounds and stuff on it. Uh, It's different than what it looks like today, but the lake is the same. They knew what the elevations were. And so that's how far back these dreams go of creating these type of parks, and so uh, some came to us through donations, some came to us through uh, outright sales, uh, just, you know, different different ways. We're very strategic um, about how we try to acquire properties, and uh, we're working on an acquisition that was actually just in the paper here, I think, a week ago that talked about an acquisition we're working on because it's got known habitat for an endangered species of bats. And so, um, you know, it's and it will only ever be a natural resource area. It, you know, we're not going to have any developed amenities or campgrounds or anything on it it's just going to be a natural resource area and so we have those all the way up to big hollow where we have 38 campsites and a big lake and an observatory and a shooting range and all sorts of stuff so
1: yeah big big hollow is pretty amazing it's quite the place isn't it and you told me that you get campers there most of the year don't you
0: yeah so from about the first part of april into November, and last year we even had campers in there in December during deer season, wow. uh, which is amazing. So every year we log visitors from about 40 states and half of Iowa's counties. We've had visitors also from Canada, Germany, and Australia.
1: How do they find out about you?
0: Um, I guess how you find out about anything, really. <laughs> you know, um, I think the... Those folks from Australia, they were going coast to coast across the United States, and oh, they were nice. coming through the middle part, and uh, they were just looking online. Yeah. And and we were close to the route that they were taking, right through the heart of the United States, and they made a reservation, came to our park, and stayed, and they just loved it. They said this just. They said we've stayed in a lot of state and federal parks, and and this one competes with them. Yeah. So that was, that was a pretty cool thing to hear because that's you, what we're going for.
1: You're involved with the with the hiking and the biking trails too, aren't you? Yeah.
0: Yep. So the Flint River Trail. Um, so we manage the county's part of that. So out, outside of the city limits, um, we manage that. We have trails in a lot of our other parks. So all told, we manage just shy of 30 miles of trail throughout, wow. our, throughout our county park system. Um, and that could be everything from you know a paved trail that's you know, on the backside of Stars Cave, uh, just to just a mode trail. We have a mode trail all the way around the lake at Big Hollow and. Uh, a couple miles of mode trails and hunt woods and things like that. And you're tr- you're trying to work in one section
1: right now, aren't you? Where the trail doesn't necessarily connect, isn't that right? And so you're wanting to try and, and solve that,
0: right? So, like I said, we play the long game here. Yeah. And uh, this foot trail idea dates all the way back to the early 2000s. It was tied to the Vision Iowa project that built the library and renovated the B stadium and things like that. And the dream was to connect the city of Burlington's riverfront to Big Hollow, the county's most developed park. And so we still have some gaps in there that we're trying to fill. Um, and sometimes these things just take time. Sometimes it takes generational turnover. Um, and you know, you just, you just make these things a priority. And you, you say, at some point, we're going to get this connection made. And then when the opportunities come along to make it happen, you jump at those. But you've got to position yourself so that when opportunity knocks, you can open the door.
1: Yeah. One, one of, I think, the hidden gems or uh, folks from this area that maybe not everybody knows about is Aldo Leopold. Yeah. And and I was very um, heartened, I guess, when I went to Star's Cave, and you took me up, what is it, on the third floor?
0: Yeah, the Leopold Loft.
1: It's the Leopold Loft. Yeah. Yeah, so talk about that.
0: So uh, a few decades back, they so Star's Cave is an old barn, um, and in the third floor of it, I want to say in the – I want to say it was the nineties. Uh, they got a grant to renovate that third floor and they turned it into a classroom space and they called it the Leopold law. So it's just one big open room. Uh, we host our hundred ed programs there sometimes and they use it for summer camps and, uh, local groups around town. will hold it, hold meetings there. Uh, and it's just kind of a classroom, just a big open classroom. And it's, it's all about interpreting Leopold. And we just had a staff meeting actually. So, um, Otto Leopold is, is known as the father of wildlife management, um, one of the biggest names in the modern conservation movement, and he's from right here in Burlington. And a lot of people credit him and his, his famous land ethic to the experiences he had. You know, he ended up in Wisconsin and, and had his shack up there and the property that they had up there. But when you think about, you know, what defines you as a person, and generally it's those experiences you had when you were young and so we know the experiences he had when he was young growing up here and around these areas is what helped set him on the path that he became the conservationist that he became. And that's something to be proud of. And so we just had a staff meeting at the, the birthplace homes right up here on top of the hill. And uh, it was kind of neat. We, we, we finished up and I just kind of told the staff uh, some of which are new and, and aren't from here. said, you know, it's really something to be part of this legacy and to carry that on uh, you know, right here in, in Leopold's birthplace. And, and I think we could do a lot better job of kind of interpreting that and telling our story uh, that, you know, we are such a a important place in the modern conservation movement.
1: Yeah, don't you think that if there is something that's dedicated to his life and his legacy that that will draw people?
0: Cause I, oh, for sure.
1: Because I know in in Illinois, near nearby where I live, is Carl Sandburg's birthplace. You'd be surprised how many people will come. Yeah to visit because they love Carl Sandburg and they want to see that. So I would yeah. imagine that if there is something more interpretive, if there's something more that that celebrates his life, that'll draw people to Burlington to, to see that for themselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and, any, and anybody only ever has one birthplace. And, you know, this guy is as important to the modern conservation movement as Rachel Carson, uh, as Teddy Roosevelt, as as any of the, the names you read about, you know, out of Leopold, is is as big to that as any of them and you know this is where he came from this is where he originated the the lands around here is what he played in and and had those experiences growing up that set him down and the family from which he came as well uh he certainly contributed to that and so uh that both family houses uh are there up on top of the hill and and they're being preserved as such is is quite the claim to fame for Burlington.
1: yeah what do you have planned, Chris, uh, that you're able to share? Because I know, <laughs> you, you know, we drove around Big Hollow and I know you're a guy with big ideas and dreams and, you know, so what can you share with us? What What are you hoping to to do to make the outdoor experience even more enjoyable?
0: Yeah, so I'm definitely not lacking for dreams and, and my <laughs> department doesn't lack for dreams. Um, and. And I'm very much of the opinion that you have to have a vision for where you're headed, uh, even if you have no idea how you'll get there. Um, you know, if, if JFK said, you know, I think we should try to get out of Earth's orbit sometime in the next generation or two, would we have walked on the moon? But no, he said, we're going to go to the moon, and right. we're going to do it this decade. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of things that had to happen, because when you do the math, we had only figured manned flight about 50 years before. And here he's saying in the next 10 years, we're gonna step on the moon, a celestial body outside of our orbit. That was insane. Yeah. But a lot of things, and, and it rallied people and it got them excited about it. So our moonshot uh, really is, is Big Hollow. We've got like $10 million worth of improvements we wanna to do to Big Hollow. We wanna create the type of place that will compete with any state or national park out there. Maybe not in size, uh, or, you know, it's 800 acres, and so, you know, we're not talking thousands and thousands of acres, but in quality. Okay. And so uh, these dreams include uh, lakefront cabins. So cabins, you, it's got a great big glass front overlooking the lake. You walk out front of this cabin, you walk out on the deck, and you can cast a fishing line right from the deck. Um, Who wouldn't want to do that? I know, exactly. And we would have people from all over the country, all over the world, come to stay at these cabins. And it, it would really put Des Moines County on the map. Um, and it would it would just take that park to the next level. And, and along with that, just your standard park improvements, uh, you know, paving the roads, um, adding campsites. So we're planning on doing that next year. We already got the grants lined up to make that happen. We're going to be increasing the uh, campground by about 50%. Uh, and then just accessibility improvements. Big Hollow is just that. It's, it's, it's a big hollow. So the topography going down to the lake is pretty steep. So we want to make sure that we're putting in accessible walkways and accessible paths so that, you know, Folks that are up there in age, or got some bad knees, or some mobility uh, restrictions, are able to access these outdoor features. And, uh, you know, paving some of the campsites so that you come and you pull your your campground in. I had an experience that was a family friend that was confined to a power chair, couldn't get around the campsites because they're all gravel. Uh, And some friends of mine had to literally pick him up in his chair and move him around just to sit him by the fire. And I said, this is not acceptable. This is not the standard that we're trying to set in our parks. And so um, a lot of things like that you go to our website, dmcconservation.com, and you can see that, the, the big dream for Big Hollow. But then beyond there, um, you know, we're constantly trying to improve our environmental education programming, and so we've been working uh, behind the scenes doing a lot of that. And then this Flint River Trail, we'd like to get the connectivity made uh, for it. And then over time... Uh, get some of the on-road sections off-road, and then over a longer period, uh, even do some paving in some of the strategic locations and just then get that trail connected to a trail, ne- a networked trail system throughout the community here so that you're connected to West Burlington, you're connected to Burlington, uh, and then the features within those places and, and just you know, adding to those amenities that, that's all then connected. Well, all of that
1: sounds reasonable. And that all sounds that everybody would want to get on board with something like that. So if you had any hurdles, is it basically just financial? Or, is, or are there other bureaucratic issues that you'd have to deal with?
0: Um, it's, it's largely resources. But, see, here's the thing about setting a, a cool vision. When, when I take that, we have this master plan document that's got you know these really cool renderings of these cabins. When I take that and I bring that to people and I say, look, here, I have no idea how we're going to do this or how we're going to pay for it, uh, but this is what we want to do, and we know the impact of it because we're already kind of seeing the impact that we have now. Yeah, It blows me away the number of people that say, I want to be part of this. I want to write you a check. And then that turns into more people stepping up and say, I want to be part of this. How do I contribute? Um, you know, Or maybe they don't have the financial resources, but can I volunteer to be on your fundraising committee? Things like that. And so... Uh, we're already half a million dollars, uh, in the last year of people coming out of the woodwork saying, I want to be part of this. Let's make this happen. Excellent. So then what we do is we take that and we leverage that with grants. And on average, we can usually leverage two to four times over. So for every, every million we get, we can turn it into two or four. Excellent. And, uh, through grants and leveraging programs. And that's the biggest thing is, is being able to strategically use those resources that the state and federal programs provide. Um, you know, cause that's, People love parks, and they, they love yeah. outdoor recreation, and, uh, and, and they love this community. There's a lot of folks out there that really love this place.
1: Do, do you take, is a lot of your time taken up writing grants to, to find that, that money necessary? Uh,
0: Not a lot necessarily writing the grants. Yes, that does take quite a bit of time. Um, I spend a lot of my time um, trying to build relationships. And and meet with folks, and I'm trying to do that more and more. I'm very much of a kind of an in the field guy, I'd like you know, be out there, kind of in the field, and yep, yeah. um, and sometimes it feels like you know, sitting down having a, a another luncheon with somebody is like oh, I'm not really getting anything done.
1: Yeah, but
0: you really are. I mean, and the, the the Chamber of the Greater Burlington Partnership knows this. I mean, we're all about you know making connections and building community, right? Right. Um, and th- and that's really. What this is is that it's that we are a community, and when I go out there and I meet with the folks in this community and I say, hey, look, this this is where we're headed, it, it just blows me away the generosity of this community and the way people step up and say, I just I can't wait to be part of this. Uh, I know this may take a while, but this may at least help get you the leverage that you need, and so yeah. um, I, I try to do that. More so than than I ever really have, because I think that's what moves things forward
1: more. Well, and I think you've got a good approach, Chris. I mean, obviously you've got the demeanor for it, because I know that when, I, and we talked about this before, at some of our government relations events, and you have legislators there, you're in the room, they acknowledge you, and they, they reference you, so there is that success that you have made in building that relationship with those legislators to know about you, to know of your awareness. And so I'm hoping that that is reaping, has reaped benefits. Yeah.
0: And I, th- I think so. Cause you know, I mean, we can, we can go to legislative days and say, Hey, you need to support this initiative or whatever. Uh, but it's something else entirely to say, you know, Hey, remember when we went to that park and I showed you this big dream for this park if you were to vote to uh, you know fund the natural resources and outdoor recreation trust fund all of a sudden there's going to be literally hundreds of millions of dollars flowing towards parks and conservation in this state that would fund things just like this park I showed you. Yeah. And you remember all those people that told you how excited they were about those cabins? Those things are built next year if you would just vote to you know create uh, to fund this trust that the voters of Iowa approved back in 2010. Uh, and so it's little things like that that you got to make that connection first, and and let them know what the impact I think is going to be, and that goes for whether they're a politician or just you know just a local uh, community member that you know maybe wants to do something good for their community when they write their will.
1: Well, and impact is a big word when it comes to the work that you do, because it lends so much to tourism here as well. It does. Because all of these facilities that are available, it draws people here. Yeah. And so the the byproduct of that, yeah. of bringing them here and enjoying what we have to offer.
0: Well, and it's economic development, too. I just got an email the other day, and I'm, I'm super proud of this. I can't wait to share it with Jeremy, actually. Um, it's a, a guy, he's, he's with a, a local uh, tech company, and he said, we just recruited a technician out of southeast Iowa, or out of southwest Iowa. Um, they've got 20 years of experience, and they said it's hard for them to pull somebody that has the experience. And, and, and as you know, that front-end training has got to be difficult, you yeah. know, especially with this, this high-level stuff. Uh, and he said when they brought him over here to show him the community, they showed him our county parks. And, and showed them the fishing places and the places to camp and the trails. And that, that was what was allowed them to recruit this person over and saved them buku dollars in, in training costs. And to be able to bring somebody that was experienced and just let them hit the ground running, you know, it, it promotes their business. It, it brought new employees to the community because those assets, those outdoor recreation assets existed. And if you look at the communities that are moving and shaking and growing across the state, they are doubling and tripling down on their investment in outdoor recreation and quality of life amenities. And so it's as much economic development as it is tourism, as it is quality of life for the people that live here. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a big, big thing, and I'm, I'm proud to be part of it. Well,
1: Jeremy Hess, our director of economic development, will definitely love hearing that by, by all means. In the remaining moments that we have, what else would you like to share? Uh, how, how can people get a hold of you they Want to learn more about Des Moines County Conservation? Uh, where do they go?
0: Uh, so, we we as everybody exists online. So, dmcconservation.com is our website. Uh, you can find Des Moines County Conservation, Stars Cave Nature Center, and Big Hollow Recreation Area on Facebook. Uh, a couple of those also are on Instagram. Uh, I don't know about that, I don't do Instagram. <laughs> um, but, uh, and so you can find us there. Um, you can call us at the Nature Center. Uh, but mostly, just come out and see us. Come to the parks. Come out to Big Hollow. Spend a day out there. Spend a weekend. Uh, come to the Nature Center. Explore the trails. Uh, chances are you'll bump into some of our staff. And um, and just get outside. You know, we're we're creeping up into fall, and then winter's going to be coming. So if you're going to be getting outside outside, uh, you know that that fall time is a great time to do it because the weather's not stupidly hot. Uh, and it, it's really nice to be out
1: there. Last real quick question. What is available out there during the winter? Is
0: anything available? Yeah. Uh, so uh, cross-country skiing, ice fishing is is hugely popular, especially on Big Hollow Lake. Um, we have 15-inch crappie in that lake. Now, I probably shouldn't say that on air, but uh, uh, so that, that secret is out. <laughs> um, and, and so that's really popular. Uh, and then, you know, the hunting seasons, we got a lot of hunting areas throughout the county. And so... Um, there's there's a lot to do even in the winter. So
1: 12 months out of the year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can get out there and you can enjoy everything that Greater Burlington has to offer with regards to Des Moines County Conservation and Big Hollow and all the properties involved with that. And Chris... Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being at the helm and the work that you do, the love and the passion that you have. You wear it on your shoulder (laughs) and that reaps benefits as a result of that. So appreciate it and continued best, best work for you. Well,
0: thank you much. I appreciate it.
1: We appreciate you and we thank you for listening to All Things Greater Burlington. Don't forget to like and subscribe and we will see you next time on All Things Greater Burlington.
0: been listening to all things greater burlington with stephen brody be sure to hit the subscribe button to catch all new episodes to learn more about all things greater burlington visit greaterburlington.com atgb